You're listening to Get Connected. Mike Agarbo here with Andy Brar in studio. We've got uh, a great show for you today. Later on in the hour, we'll uh, be taking a few calls from the audience, tech calls. Uh, we'll also be talking uh, with Mo Samani about uh, how to make your business better. What are some of the, uh, the, the challenges that small businesses face? Well, this is the last month of uh, Small Business Month in October. This it used true. to be Small Business Week and then suddenly it just turned to small business month. So we're going to... Soon it'll be small business year. <laughs> exactly. Small business quarter. It might happen in the future. Uh, we'll also be talking uh, shortly with uh, Mike Yanni, uh, the tech reporter over at uh, City TV, about the new Apple announcement and the new uh, MacBooks and uh, what that all means uh, as well. In the tech news this week, Andy, lots of stuff going on. Uh, Vine, Twitter's uh, little video app. And for the listeners who don't know what this is, uh, this is a video app that Twitter came out with uh, a couple of years ago that uh, essentially allowed you to take seven-second videos yeah. and then, I guess, send them out to your, your fans or, or tweet them out. And i got to be honest, Andy, when it first came out, I thought, what the hell is this? Yes. This, this is the dumbest thing I've ever seen. And, of course, I was vining and yes. making these crazy little videos that were looping, and Twitter bought them as you know a good acquisition because – they were trying to get more into the video space. And we've seen this in the last couple of years. Just look at what Facebook's doing with video. So Twitter got into that. They bought this startup. I think they paid like something like $30 million. And um, a couple of years later, now it's gone. They're shutting it down. Vine is gone. They'll keep the, the, videos, uh, the Vine videos up there that have already been created. But uh, as of this week, they've basically said they're uh, shuttering the, the Vine. Do you know who uh, made a lot of Vine videos? Who? Donald Trump. I was I was looking at them, you know. It's like the end of Vine. I'm like, let's see what kind of videos. Did he really? Oh yeah, yeah. He was really into oh, it. Oh, he loves Twitter. Yes, he's uh, he's probably the only reason why Twitter is still relevant. I don't know any. I think pretty much every journalist or reporter in the world follows Donald Trump. You, you, almost daily, I actually just search like Trump Twitter just to see what he's been tweeting. What crazy he's tweeting? Yeah, or tweeting. Uh, so it's interesting. They've shut down Vine uh, this week. Here, they've also announced that they're uh, uh, laying off five percent of their workforce. Uh, they're having a challenging time right now. Uh, they've uh, made it known that they are open to being bought. Yeah, but no one is <laughs> biting on it. There were some rumors that. Disney or Google or Salesforce would, uh, you know, jump jump on that opportunity, but they've all basically come out and said, no, we're not interested. Interesting. I mean, it's been so competitive in the social media space. You've got Facebook, uh, Instagram, which Facebook bought. Uh, there's now Snapchat. Snapchat, which is the the big juggernaut out there. And Twitter, can can they even compete? You know, what is the financial model there? I know you're not into Twitter as much as you are Facebook. I'm more into Twitter than Facebook. Um, but I think the problem with Twitter is that you got 90, 95% of the people doing all the tweeting. So they don't have that. You mean 5% of the people doing all the tweeting? Well, no, 90%, or sorry, 5% doing 90% of the tweeting, yes. And um, I think that's one of the problems. And they haven't figured out how to monetize it. They have promoted tweets. I don't think anybody cares about those. I don't think so. Like, I think the challenge is it's not a very visual medium either. It's just, you know, the 140 characters. I know that's longer now. But, you know, you look at uh, things like Facebook or Snapchat, and it, it is all visual. It's, it's emotional. There's pictures. There's videos. So I think that resonates more with people than these little but, short bursts of text. But the thing is, Mike, like during live events, whether it's sports or something like that, Twitter is perfect because you can sit there and chat with other people in real time. 
it really bugs me when people post stuff on Facebook uh, while they're watching sports because that stuff will come like a day later and it's like, okay, that's, you know, there was only a finite time that you could talk about that, but you're still talking about a, a bad goal from the Canucks and it comes up a day later in someone else's feed. So I, I, I see where Twitter's relevance is. I just don't see them actually making money and that's why they're having a hard time finding a buyer. What do you think? What, what's their future? They're going to well, be bought by someone. The, the guy that sold uh, Vine to Twitter, he actually tweeted, don't sell your startups. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess it depends how much money they're giving you for your startups. Well, he's, he's very, he's sad. Like, you know, he, he created something. Yeah. There was an audience out there. He gets bought and then they just shut it down. And I guess as an entrepreneur, that, that really bugs him. Because well, yeah, he sold his baby. Well, while and then he's they like killed living on a beach, you know. yeah, I think he's doing okay. Yeah. Uh, another uh, interesting story this week, uh, Andy. We talk a lot about uh, the sharing economy, the gig economy, uh, things like Uber and Airbnb. But uh, a lot of these uh, kind of startups now, these these sharing apps, uh, are running into uh, roadblocks, yeah. so to speak. You know, we've seen with Airbnb, there's a lot of cities that are really trying to crack down on that now, including Vancouver. Oh, yeah. Right? They um, basically have bylaws that say you can't have short-term rentals under 30 days, which what Airbnb is all about, yeah. essentially. Uh, so they're totally cracking down on that, and a number of other cities are as well. And with Uber, we're seeing more and more of this. Uh, you know, whenever they go into the city, they obviously uh, have a lot of conflict with the taxi industry and the local city government because they're not playing by any rules, so to speak. They're breaking a lot of bylaws and, and laws. Uh, now in London, over in the UK, uh, a court ruling has basically said that uh, Uber drivers are not contractors. They are actually employees of Uber. And as such, they should be entitled to a minimum wage uh, and things like vacation pay, as regular employees would be. Probably benefits as well. Yes. And if they're employees and if they get together, could could you see Uber unions in the future as well? Oh, so. heck yeah. So, I mean, that's an interesting thing. If, if Uber drivers uh, have to be classified as employees, um, will that really make them actually more like taxi drivers? Yes. <laughs> right? Yeah. You know, everyone loves Uber right now. There's a few things that they have going for them. Obviously, it's a much better app and a much better experience. Uh, but a lot of people like the price as well, because in most cases, it's much cheaper than taxi drivers. But there's a reason for that, because Uber has no cost sunk into this. It's the drivers that have to bear the responsibility of having a car, insurance, gasoline, all of that. Uber essentially is just the middleman, the proverbial yes. middleman. Yeah, they're hooking up drivers and passengers. Yes. So my question, Andy, what happens if all Uber drivers have to become employees of Uber? Like, does their competitive advantage disappear over taxis? Well, let's be clear. Uber's already said that they just want to take the drivers out of the equation altogether. That's right. They want. Uh, so this is just like a, a little bump in the road until they can get it so that they can have self-driving cars, Ubers out there. Yeah, but then, you know, that's a, it, it's a lower barrier to entry, like... All these taxi companies can go that way as well. Yeah. Right? You can't tell me that the taxi companies aren't dreaming of the day they can douse all the drivers but and just there, have robot cars. You, you see in, in certain cities that there's so many Uber drivers, they actually aren't even making money anymore. That's true. So should they be regulated? Like maybe the taxi industry has a point there. It's hard, right? Because, you know, we see in, in Vancouver, there's not enough taxi drivers on yeah. the road, yeah. especially during peak times. 
and we know that we're not going to get Uber at least for another year. So, at the same time, uh, people need to be able to make a living. Yeah. Right. So, if you suddenly flood the market with something like more drivers, uh, then all the drivers make dramatically less more money. So, what do you think is going to happen in Canada? Do you think the the Canadian courts are going to rule something similar to what we're seeing in the UK? Well, you start if you start seeing more and more precedents, yeah, uh, like this particular uh, case, yeah, you uh, you can bet that there's going to be more uh, cases brought up and potentially unions being formed on it. So, I mean, here in Vancouver, we're still. I don't even know how far away we are, probably even a year before we see Uber. But by that time, what kind of regulations will they have on them? And will it even be competitive anymore? Like, will they be just as much as a taxi or or more? What about Lyft? Is Lyft in Canada? No, not that I know of. Yeah. Yeah. They're big down in the States. They're the competitor to Uber, but same basic thing. Well, we'll uh, keep you abreast of any uh, developments uh, on that. When we come back from the break, we're going to talk with Mike Yanni about the new Apple MacBook. They've gotten rid of all the ports and uh, are just using new USB-C ports. What does that mean for consumers? You're listening to Get Connected. Back after this. You're back with Get Connected. Mike Agarbo here with Andy Barrar. Later on in the program, we're going to talk about bots and how they're working against you when you're trying to buy tickets to your favorite concerts and events. It is shocking how many tickets go to these uh, little software programs even and the you, ticket brokers. Even if you think you're really fast at uh, trying to order this and you have your, you're just waiting, you can't beat these bots. The bots are better. The bots are faster. Well, we'll find out what it is all about and what can we do about it, if anything. Are you an iPhone user? I know so many people that have iPhones and they're constantly coming to me saying, I am out of storage. Yeah. I have taken tons of pictures, videos, and I keep getting the out of storage message. Well we might have uh, a solution for you. On the line right now, we've got uh, Eric Bone from Leaf. Thanks for joining us, Eric. Great. Thank you for, for having me. So uh, as I was saying, Eric, uh, people use their smartphones for so many things uh, nowadays. A big thing, obviously, is capturing memories, taking photos and videos. And a, a lot of these new iPhones, uh, you can take 4K video. It just eats up your internal storage. And unfortunately, uh, with the iPhones, you typically can't put little memory cards in them like some of the Android phones. However, uh, we brought you on the line because uh, you've got a great little uh, doohickey that can uh, help folks. Yeah, and and we uh, designed this basically from the ground up to help exactly the type of problem that you were talking about, that dreaded pop-up that everyone gets when they're just about ready to take that perfect birthday shot or, you know, beautiful landscape shot, they get that out-of-memory shot. And we have that solution for you with the Leaf iBridge 3. Well, tell our listeners what, how this thing works and, and what it looks like. Yeah, so so it's very similar to uh, a traditional USB flash drive in, in, in form factor and shape. These are really small, but uh, Leaf designed this from the ground up to actually work within your mobile lifestyle. So instead of having something that, you know, sticks out really far from the bottom of your phone or some large wart that sits on it, we've created something with a unique J type of shape that kind of hides behind uh, your iPhone and plugs directly into your Apple lightning port at the bottom of the phone. And so once they plug it in, what, what's the next procedure? What do they do to, to make this thing all work? Yeah, so there's uh, there's a free application that really is is actually the heart of of the product's interface to the iPhone, and they just download a free app from the Apple App Store, um, which gets you right into some of the functionality of the iBridge product. 
Um, Eric, I'm not a big fan of iTunes. And one of the things uh, I don't like about the iPhone is when you try to move content, say videos and photos, everything kind of works with iTunes. With the Leaf iBridge, if, what about if you want to move content from your iPhone or iPad to your computer? Can you use this to, to basically move that, all that content from one device to the other? Absolutely. This is definitely one of the key features of this device, being able to uh, back up and actually move content quickly from an iPhone or an iPad to, uh, to a computer over a standard USB port. So this Leaf iBridge product actually has two connections. There's one connection that uh, has the port that connects into the, the Apple Lightning port, and then on the other side of the device, there's actually a USB standard type A port, which is the one that you see on, you know, basically every computer that's, uh, that's working today. And, you know, another thing, Eric, I, I, and this happens all the time, you know, people go on holidays, they take a lot of photos and videos with their iPhone or iPad. Can you use the Leaf iBridge and just take the content, like take photos directly and save them directly onto the iBridge 3? Or do you have to put it onto your phone and then move it onto the iBridge? Yeah, that's, uh, that's a feature that, um, that we worked hard to, uh, to get working. So, so when you're in the situation, as we talked a little bit about earlier, and you've run out of space and, and panic sets in, you, you have two choices, right? One, you just don't get the shot, or, or two, you actually have to start deleting the content on your phone quickly, and that takes up valuable time. So with the combination of the Leaf iBridge hardware and the app, we actually allow you to shoot photos and videos directly to the iBridge 3. Um, this happens um, uh, without taking up any storage on your iPhone if you, if you already happen to be uh, full of storage on your internal memory. So it shoots directly to the external memory that's found on the iBridge. Well, what about security? What happens if you, if you lose the iBridge? Is somebody going to be able to take that and stick it into their iPhone and look at all your content? Yeah, security is always kind of a, a tricky situation. We um, have implemented a new feature on this product called LeafLock. And what this does is it takes advantage of the security built into your iPhone. So on the newer iPhones that have the touch sensor ID that you know, you've put in your thumbprint, that, um, that security actually locks the, the iBridge drive as well. Of course, you have to enable it. So there's always that situation where we give the customer a choice at the initial startup to either set a pin, um, you know, a four-digit pin to, uh, to lock the drive, um, or you can use your thumbprint if you have that Touch ID on, uh, on your device. And then if you lose that, uh, that pin, for example, we're actually using the same um, recall procedures that you do on, uh, on the iCloud keychain is what it's called. And that security is saved up using the Apple technology. So we're pretty excited about this solution for the customers. It wasn't, we didn't have it on our first generation product and we've just implemented it on the iBridge 3. And we think customers are going to use this for that little bit of extra security uh, for their portable device that, that has really valuable uh, private information for them. Eric, you, you mentioned iCloud, and I know a lot of people now, what they're doing is they're taking their photos and videos that they take on their, on their device and uploading it to the cloud. Do you guys have any integration with like iCloud or, say, Google Drive? Yeah, this is a, this is a new feature that we've also implemented in the new app. 
Um, so we we believe that uh, because the the concept of of file files in the Apple ecosystem really they don't have the traditional file managers that you would think of uh, on a PC or a Mac. Um, so we've had to in- integrate that that uh, that functionality into the iBridge three app um, that runs and allows you to interface not only the internal uh, storage in your iPhone. But uh, cloud um, infrastructure for Google Drive and Box, um, and we're working on a few others, and the content that might be sitting on your iBridge. So, for example, if you have a document that's sitting up on on Box or Google Drive, you can download that directly to your iBridge 3 um, through our app. Very cool. Uh, and just quickly, what uh, storage sizes are available? Yeah, so we started at an entry-level um, storage of around 16 gigabytes, um, which is great for that uh, that older generation of phones. Um, you know, the iPhone 5S, for example, a lot of people were at 16 gig, and they're just looking to kind of back up that storage. But um, we found that we actually have a lot of power users, and so we have one of the industry-leading capacity sizes in this small form factor, uh, all the way up to 256 gigabytes. So we give you a bunch of different steps along the way, 16, 32, 64, 128, and 256 gigabytes. Where can people get uh, more information about this? Yeah, so um, the information is available up on LEAF's website, which is leafco.com. Um, they're also uh, rolling out to retailers in uh, your local area, like Best Buy, Staples, and London Drugs. Thanks for joining us, Eric. Great. Thanks for having me. That was uh, Eric Bone uh, with Leaf talking about the new iBridge 3, a great little uh, device you can use on your iPhone if you run out of storage. When we come back, it's all about bots buying all our tickets. Back after this. Lots more to come up here on Get Connected. We will uh, be going open line, taking your tech calls and questions. Of course, we'll have App of the Week with uh, Christina. And before we get to uh, the bots, what's the prize this week, Andy? Well, you just heard us talk about the Leaf iBridge 3. This is an external flash drive for your iOS devices, whether it's an iPhone or iPad. If you've ran out of storage, you definitely want to get this. All you have to do is go to our website because we're giving one away. GetConnectedMedia.com. Enter the contest tab to enter and win the Leaf iBridge 3 and get some more storage for your iPhone. Do you ever wonder when you're trying to get tickets for uh, the latest concert coming to town and you just can't seem to get any, even though you're sitting on your computer waiting for them to start selling? Well, it seems that the system might be stacked against you. On the line right now, we've uh, got David Common. He is uh, over at the CBC. Thanks for joining us today, David. Yeah, no problem. I wanted to bring you on the program because uh, this is something that I'm actually very interested in. Uh, you did a, an excellent uh, article at, on it uh, up on uh, CBC uh, News uh, up on the web. So when these uh, when these concerts start selling tickets, and let's use the Tragically Hip, uh, their tour that just happened, how many tickets are actually going to the common people? <laughs> well, uh, not all that many, it turns out. You know, you look at something like the Tragically Hip, a big high-demand show, it's pretty well like all of the big high-demand shows, one-third of the tickets end up being snapped up by bots. Another third are grabbed by brokers. So those are kind of like professional scalpers. Many of them use bots. And so that really leaves only about a third of them for, you know, the average Joe fan. Really, the minority of tickets end up like that. 
Um, and, uh, and Live Nation, which owns Ticketmaster, it's the biggest promoter on the, on the planet. It actually has done what it can, it says, to try to block bots. It says still about 5 billion bots approach its website every year. They block 99% of them. But even with that, 100 bots a minute are getting through. And, you know, many of your listeners are going to know exactly what a bot is, an automated software program that's able to grab often the very best seats in a stadium within seconds of the on-sale actually taking place, beating any uh, puny human who's uh, trying to do the same thing for <laughs> the punch. So, David... Uh, you know, you talked about one third goes to the bots, one third goes to the uh, the the ticket brokers. But aren't the bots really being used by the ticket brokers? Well, in a lot of cases, uh, that's what what we believe. Or they are buying tickets, um, and then those are being unloaded by brokers. So there's some sort of relationship between a bot operator and a broker. Uh, you know, bots are actually legal in many places to use, and even in places where they aren't legal, you, you know, you can just bypass it. So the bots that are going into the Ticketmaster system are operating from Eastern Europe, are operating from the province of Quebec, or operating from Ontario, or operating from California. They're they're coming from all over the place, and so just so uh, so easy for them to jump borders in that sense, um, and much more difficult to actually try to stop. Uh, when, when we were talking to Ticketmaster and Live Nation about this, they said to us, look, we, we really do try to stop them, but they, we, there's kind of a limit. We don't want to go and cancel tickets that we think were bought by a broker or by a, a robot. Um, if it isn't 100% sure, we don't want to take the chance and go and cancel some legitimate fans' tickets. David, is the use of bots with Ticketmaster a relatively new thing, or has this been happening for a long time and we just didn't know about it? I think we just didn't know about it. You know, it's become much bigger in recent years, but bots have been a, a, something that Ticketmaster has had to confront for at least 10, 15 years at this point in an organized way. They ban it on their terms of service. They say, you know, if you agree to come to this website, you agree that you're not using a bot. Um, but it's not illegal. It is in New York State. Ontario's Attorney General, after we went and talked to him about what we found in our investigation, said, well, you know what, we're we're going to outlaw bots for ticket purposes in this province as well. But that might be a bit more symbolic because they can just jump those borders so easily. There are, though, other technological solutions that, that people are considering. David, do they really care, though? Does Ticketmaster really want to stop this? Isn't it good for them to sell out these concerts within like two minutes? Yeah, well, from their perspective, they say they want to provide a service to their client, that's the band, the artist, the singer, um, and they want to be doing well by the fans. But, you know, look, Ticketmaster sells 80% of the tickets for live events in North America. It's owned by Live Nation, which itself owns a lot of the venues, owns a lot of the promotion. In fact, has about 60% of the promotion for live events uh, in the world. It is a major entity. They're in the business of selling tickets, and if tickets sell out fast, then, look, it makes it easier for them. Ticketmaster also now runs in many areas a secondary ticket site, so it runs its own kind of version of StubHub. You may go to a, you know, the Ticketmaster site and see, oh, look at that. Uh, they, they don't have any seats left, but they're redirecting me to a place that has it, a place that's actually owned by Ticketmaster, and all these tickets are no longer at face value, but they're double or triple or exponentially more than that over the original price. Funny how that is, David. 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> David, if you can just uh, hang on the line, I want to chat a little bit more about this uh, with you. I'm going to open up the phone lines as well. Do you think uh, companies like Ticketmaster uh, are doing enough to stop this? Uh, do you think the government should get more involved? Love to hear from you. 604-298-9898. Back after this. You're back with Get Connected and Mike and Andy here. A little bit we'll uh, be doing App of the Week with Christina. Right now we're talking about bots. Bots are buying tickets before you can. On the line we've uh, got uh, David Common. He's over from the CBC. Thanks again for joining us, David. No problem. Um, uh, Again, you know, we were talking about is Ticketmaster uh, doing enough? Uh, We talked about uh, the government in Ontario. They want to ban bots. But to your point... They would just be banning bots that originated in Ontario. Is that right? Yeah, or transactions that are taking place in Ontario. But, you know, the, the question, of course, is how do you police something like that? Um, you'd have to have a pretty sophisticated unit watching these things. And they'd have to be pretty quick because bots do operate very quickly. Um, you know, and, and you have to look at the, the, the behind-the-scenes things that are going on. So Ticketmaster, for instance, has ticket limits. It says no person can buy more than four tickets at once. Uh, but what a, a broker who operates bots will do is uh, he or she will have maybe 500 credit cards under different names going to different P.O. boxes and operating each bot off of a different one to kind of bypass those maximum seat limits. This is a multi-million dollar business, really, isn't it? Well, if you look at the Tragically Hip, that alone, brokers made $30 million. Oh, my God. Speaking of the Tragically Hip, David, what are, what are the artists saying about this? Do they want to put an end to this so that their fans can actually afford and, and have access to these tickets? Well, I think it depends on the artists themselves. You know, we, the Tragically Hip didn't talk to us as part of our uh, story, as part of our investigation, but we know that they were aware of what was going on, but they're a bit restricted. They don't want to take a chance of canceling some legitimate fan's ticket. But then you, know, you can look at other people like uh, Louis C.K., the comedian, um, he was recently out in the West Coast and uh, doing a number of shows and said quite plainly, uh, if I find, or my team, and he's hired a whole bunch of former brokers, if my team finds any of my tickets on a resale site like StubHub, we'll cancel those tickets. And so what's the result? You can't find Louis C.K. tickets on secondary sites because they kind of have no value. That might be easier for him, but I mean, if you're like Beyonce, for example, selling out entire stadiums, like tens of thousands of tickets, that would be much more difficult. Much more difficult, and particularly when the biggest game in town is Live Nation and Ticketmaster, all part of one big company. Um, these these are folks who do do tours really professionally and maximize the amount of money that can be made out of them. They really know what they're doing. Uh, but they're there primarily watching out for the artist bottom line, of course. We've opened up the phone lines, getting your thoughts on this. 604-280-9898. Kind of messed up the phone number before the you break. Did. <laughs> 604-280-9898. Uh, Dave, I got a question. Um, I, I think a lot of people are familiar with CAPTCHA, and that was basically to ensure that you are a human being when you when you are like registering something online. Are those yeah. security measures not working? They work for some of the less sophisticated bots, um, but for the more sophisticated ones, they don't. So, I mean, to give you an idea, CATCHA can have any number of combinations, usually up to around 64,000. But that doesn't mean that a Ticketmaster site or every single site that uses them is using all of those combinations. I mean, they actually have far fewer, and so that makes it much easier for a bot operator to actually just get through all of them, uh, take a picture and identify what it is, 
um, for the computer going forward because it can differentiate between one image and another. It can, just always can't separate what that word is inside that image. A um, hundred bots a minute getting through the Ticketmaster site every single day, that tells you, because Ticketmaster operates CAPTCHA, tells you just how quickly they can get through. Jump into the phone lines here. We've got Jeff in New West. Hey, Jeff. Hey. Hey. Yeah, I totally hate bots. You hate bots? <laughs> Have you uh, tried to buy tickets before and not been able to get through? Of course. Yeah. Should the what, what are your thoughts, though? Should the government step in more? Should Ticketmaster up their game? Uh, well, that's your guys' opinion. That, I already gave my opinion. You guys can finish it off. Thanks, Jeff. We'll uh, jump here to uh, Ron. Hey, Ron. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> I thought I was loaded. My God. <laughs> anyway, uh, no, uh, you know, the last ticket I bought... Um, uh, I wanted to go see the nylons uh, thing, right? Yeah. And the only way I could buy a ticket was either to physically drive out to Maple Ridge or, or Mission or have a credit card. And I went, I don't have credit cards. I don't have uh, check by Internet because I don't have the Internet. And I was like, holy crap. Why don't they just go back to the old system and personally identify the caller so there's no bots. There's no computer involved. It's, yes, you can buy your four tickets. Uh, next caller, please. <laughs> yeah, no, that's uh, the way it used to be done. But, David, I mean, that would be prohibitively expensive, wouldn't it, to go back? Considered, um, look at what Iron Maiden is doing. Now, it's a bit of a blast in the past to talk about them, but they're starting up a tour, and what they're doing is saying, okay, you can buy a ticket. You've got to use a credit card, so you've got to have a credit card. And then you have to use that exact same credit card to actually gain entry. That you, there it never is a ticket that the ticket of the future will be the credit card itself. Obviously, you don't want to lose your credit card in between the time you buy and the time that you uh, actually try to enter the concert because it literally would be the ticket. But then it would take time, and you'd need new machines. You'd need new scanners at the gates because they don't want to have really long lines. You would have to be able to show probably ID in addition to that credit card. And so all of that will, will add time. And uh, Live Nation, that biggest promoter on earth, is saying, well, we got to figure out a way to get people into our venues quickly. So not any great answers anytime soon, really, David? No, not necessarily. I mean, the, the Iron Maiden idea is going to be starting up next year um, as, as one kind of trial project. It, a lot of people say that, in fact, that is the very solution that you ought to use. There's some former bot operators themselves who say, look, there are ways that you can go and look at this. You say, uh, I, I want to know if someone from the same address is buying or same credit, you know, is, this, is the same credit card buying for two different events on the same day, but buying at the same time. That's a pretty good indication that it's a bot being used because how could you go to two different concerts, say, in two different provinces or two different states at the same time. Uh, and many bot operators say that right there would eliminate um, a lot of the problem. David, uh, obviously people can find out more about you up on the CBC site? Yep. Very cool. And uh, Twitter handle? At David Common. That was David Common, uh, our good friend over at the CBC. When we come back, it's App of the Week time with Christina. Back after this. You're back with Get Connected. It's... It's that time of the week. We've uh, got Christina in studio. App of the week time. What do you got for us? 
you know what? I have an app today that you introduced me to, actually. Ah, I think I know. It's been sitting on my iPad and I use it. It's fantastic, but it's been there for over a year and I don't know why I've never spoken about it, but it's called Infuse. Love that app. I know. It's amazing. I use it all the time. So it's a paid app. I'm just going to throw that out there right now and it's not inexpensive as far as app goes, apps go, but it is amazing. It is a media player and it will play any video under the sun. It's amazing because often what happens is when you're trying to watch videos on your iPad or if you do that on your phone, um, there are some like codecs or whatever is missing. There are all sorts of different formats. Doesn't work. Yeah. And this app just plays anything. Well, it's kind of cool because uh, I I do a lot of traveling. And so when I'm on an airplane, I like to have my own movies and and shows. And, uh, you know, I typically get them from various places. And um, legally, of course. Yeah. Yeah, let's say that. Uh, so essentially, Infuse uh, allows me, uh, you know, I've got to plug it into my computer where all the, where they are, but I can basically drag and drop them right into the uh, app and then it'll play, which is uh, fantastic. And no matter what uh, video file format or what kind of audio that's attached yeah. to it, it just plays it no problem. But again, it's not cheap. I think it's like eight bucks or something. Uh, I think it's thirteen ninety nine. Okay, that's more than eight bucks. <laughs> I know, but you know what? It's so worth it because the worst thing. This is my biggest pet peeve is when I try to watch a video and the sound won't go. Like the video starts and you think this is great, it's working, and then there's no sound. Yeah, that's kind of sucky. What I like about it too, um, I have one of the newer Apple TVs where you can download apps, and if you if you pay the thirteen ninety nine. Oh, uh, do you get an Infuse app? You get an in, yeah, you can get it for the Apple TV. And Amazing. You don't have to pay again for it, and so that way I've got it on my iPad, and I also have it on my Apple TV, so I can look at stuff uh, through my Apple TV through, uh, TV through that app. Pretty cool. Yeah, it also supports AirPlay and all that good stuff, so you can AirPlay from your iPad or phone or whatever. Just for iOS right now, I believe. Yes, it is. Um, But yeah, it's pretty amazing. And it also downloads, I don't know if you knew this, but it automatically downloads metadata for the videos that you put on it. So so you can get all your like descriptions of the Yeah, for your TV shows and movies. Yeah. uh, The cover art and stuff like that. Very cool. Good call on that one. Andy, we've got a little bit of time left to talk about the prize. Yes, this week, if you heard our interview with the folks over at Leaf, we are giving away the iBridge 3. This is basically an external flash drive for your iPhone or iPad. It's perfect if you've run out of storage or if you just want to move storage from your phone or tablet to your computer. This little device is going to do that and you can bypass iTunes altogether. All you got to do is go to our website, getconnectedmedia.com to enter and win the Leaf iBridge 3. I want to thank all the folks that helped put the show together. Of course, Andy Brar, my co-host and producer, Christina, for coming in the studio every week, and the rest of the Get Connected team back at the office. Paul, Sherry, Wes, and Ethan, the new guy. We'll see you again next week.